Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Chris Maury, designer, accessibility advocate, and founder of Conversant Labs. We talk about designing for those with vision loss as he loses his sight and what he has learned in designing accessible conversational UIs. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm here with Chris Maury, who's a designer, accessibility advocate, and founder of Conversant Labs. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you found your way into the design world and what led you to start Conversant. And tell us a little bit about Conversant. Yeah, um, so I got started all the way back in high school uh, on the high school newspaper. I got access to Adobe and Design and uh, Photoshop and kind of learned about how to lay out a page and and mess around with photos, uh, mostly for fun, uh, but also like learned some, you know, basic best practices there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't really do much with it in college. And it wasn't until uh, my first job out of school, uh, working for a photo hosting company in uh, the Bay Area, where I got to, I was kind of like an intern and business person, but sat next to our designer, (laughs) um, uh, Wes Wong. And he really taught me so much about design as it relates to kind of web-based products. He had this giant yellow encyclopedia of every typeface uh, that exists <laughs> that was really cool. And he, uh, you know, would let me brainstorm with him about user flows and and uh, page design. I thought it was really interesting as like a really a much more fun way of thinking about like new products mm-hmm. than thinking through the business model side of things. Um, so I really, I really got exposed to it and excited about it through, through him uh, and, and learned a lot, a lot from him and um, was kind of started applying that through, you know, I went into product management from there and at, at another startup, but around uh, the time that I was working with Wes, I found out that I was going blind. I was diagnosed with a genetic disorder called Stargardt's macular degeneration that uh, was gonna, I was gonna lose my central vision and I'm currently losing my central vision over the course of you know 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And that was about um, four years ago. And, and so as you know, throughout this entire process, I started looking at the, the tools and the technologies that were available to the blind community uh, to use, uh, you know, the tools that I would be using to kind of maintain my standard of living and, and keep being productive uh, and was really disappointed with with the quality of those tools and so set out to try and build uh, a better experience and that's kind of what got us started with with conversant labs that's awesome that's an awesome um amazing story so you talk to me about what kind of projects you're working on at, at conversant like what are your goals for the company where have you been and where do you see yourself going yeah so um, kind of the realization that we had is the the way that accessibility tools, especially for the blind, are, are constructed are kind of fundamentally flawed. And uh, so the, the core technology is called a screen reader, and it takes what's displayed visually on the screen, and then uh, it reads that aloud to you. So all of the work that goes into designing and optimizing this visual experience is then really thrown out the door. <laughs> And kind of forced into this single dimensional audio stream for for people who can't see it. And when you think of who the blind population is as a whole, you know the vast majority of people who are losing their vision are are losing their vision from aging related disorders. So they have trouble with email, let alone trying to navigate an email inbox uh, with a keyboard and moving this cursor that's then reading each item out individually. Um, so so rather than follow this model, we're like, what if we built 
applications for audio first? You know, what would that look like? How would you interact with that? And we, we got to this point of uh, voice and conversation being the best way to do that. It's a much more natural experience. You talk to the, to the product and the, and the product speaks back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where the name of the company comes from, Conversant Labs. Uh, so our goal is um, to create a world where I can do every, everything that I can do on the f- smartphone that's in my pocket, I should be able to do non-visually or without taking that f- uh, phone out of my pocket. Um, and, and the first thing that we did, you know, moving down this path was we built a, a fully conversational shopping application uh, in partnership with Target called Say Shopping. And it allows, you know, the blind and visually impaired, really anyone uh, to search for products, uh, to get reviews and compare those products and then purchase them all with your voice. Uh, and it was the first app that ever allowed you to, to buy something with your voice. Um, and, and it was received really well. And we learned a lot about what it takes to, to build a, a voice first and a non, uh, you know, a primarily non-visual application and the different design challenges there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we and we've taken those learnings and and are trying to make that available to to everyone else through um, developer tools. Uh, we're releasing an uh, an SDK for the uh, Apple products so that you can add voice to to existing applications. Uh, and we're also looking at um, design tools as well. Uh, you know, one of the big struggles <laughs> that we had is you know how do you how do you wireframe a non visual experience mm. um, and and pr- like, pro- how do you prototype a voice-based application? Because right now, the only way to prototype that or to test it or get any user feedback is to build it mm-hmm. uh, or to do like very low fidelity, like Wizard of Oz, where you talk and, and the role of the computer and it's kind of awkward and, and not as, um, you can learn things and it can be helpful, um, mm-hmm. but it's like, uh, it's not really testing testing the product. Um, so we're looking at design tools so that, a designer can go in and build out a very rough version of a conversational interaction and then be able to sit down with a user and have them go through it and then test out like how do they are they how does someone express uh, what you want like like for a search for example how does someone express searching for a product are you going to say you know search for a toothbrush or i'm looking for a toothbrush or i need a toothbrush or you know i ran out of toilet paper like mm-hmm. all of these different ways of expressing this idea of wanting to search for something that you might not necessarily think of so being able to get to those at the design phase rather than you know once the the voice app is is out in the wild mm-hmm. so how has the diagnosis changed the nature of how you work i mean you've just explained a little bit about that but i'd love for you to talk both around tools but also philosophically speaking yeah um so it's definitely given me something to focus on. Um, I, you know, when I was in the Bay Area, I knew I wanted to start a company and I would have all these side projects working on things, but I could never focus on something for more than, you know, a month or two before (laughs) wanting to switch to the new shiny idea that I have. Um, So there's definitely helped me to focus in terms of the tools that I use. It's it's been a a mixed bag. So I I do use a screen reader for every day. uh, And I use a free open source one called uh, NVDA with a mouse. So I have a giant monitor with a color inverted and uh, the font blown up pretty big. And then I use the mouse and whatever the mouse highlights that text is spoken aloud. And it works pretty well. Uh, I think I'm as productive as I was before. I do a lot less mindless web browsing than I did before because it's harder to navigate kind of individual web pages. But Mm -hmm. 
when I do find something, I read so much more now because I've, you know, trained myself to listen to books at a much faster rate uh, because those books are being read to me using text to speech. Mm-hmm. So I can listen to those at like 650 words a minute. Um, so I now I read Whoa. much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's one of these things. And so this, I, so it's helped me to read a lot, but it's one of, I think the realizations that I've had and going back to this question of how it's changed the way that I think about, you know, designs and problems and tools is it's like, yes, it's a disability in a sense, but in a, in a broader sense, it's just a different way of consuming information. And there are pluses and minuses to that different Mm -hmm. uh, kind of context of interaction with a product. So yes, someone who has a visual impairment can't see the screen, uh, and they're going to have to interact with that kind of audibly. So what impact does that have? Can you create the the same level of intuition and an experience or create an as efficient an experience through audio as you did uh, visually. And I think with when you think about things like being able to listen to something at a much faster rate, you can potentially have experiences that are even more efficient or more productive than what you would consider the normal or standard um, experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a superhero skill, <laughs> your ability to take all that information in. But yeah, so, audio. yeah, it's and it's not just someone with a visual impairment. Like one of my roommates when I was living in San Francisco, he saw me um, using, you know, listening to books in this way. And then he downloaded the app that I use and he started training himself up. Uh, so he's not quite at 600, but he, you know, is 400. He's listening to things way faster. So mm. it's not you don't have to go blind to, to listen to things faster. <laughs> <laughs> right. To train yourself. Right, right. right. And, and I think as voice and uh, interfaces become more of a thing, you know, with Amazon Echo, Google, like an hour ago, just right. announced their competitor, um, the more that voice interfaces become part of how we, you know, do computing, and how we interact with our devices, people like more, I think will move faster uh, in terms of like how we listen to things. Dare I say we might become better listeners? Boy, (laughs) that's interesting so we talk about there's all these conversations around the death of conversation right uh we spend all of our time texting and our faces and our phones and you know maybe with voices we'll spend more time talking but it it won't still won't be with each other just be with with (laughs) right there'll still be no connections oh boy but we'll be better listeners Yes. yes So for those, I mean, it's an exciting time. You mentioned a few new developments, but it's for for people that are just getting into designing for voice, what advice do you have for them in terms of where to get started? Yeah, I I still think it's very early days. Um, Mm. So the the resources that are available in all of these other fields uh, aren't there yet. Like when I was... learning about design and and in the business setting i would i read uh communicating design by dan brown that was like a really big book for me mm. I, like the these types of books aren't there yet for for conversation uh, because we're still kind of discovering the best practices in the in the business setting um one book that gets like is starting to move in that direction is don't make me tap uh, by ahmed bouzid who is uh, at amazon uh, working around the the echo uh, when that was in development um, but there's, I think, much more work has been done in the academic settings. So, you know, even here in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon, they have been working on speech and voice interfaces for decades. So they've done a lot of work, you know, early on, maybe when these technologies weren't as good or weren't good enough for commercial use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were, st- a lot of those learnings still apply. Um, so if you have access to, to academic research, like that's a really good place to start. Um, 
And there's some really good examples of, of what not only the challenges are, but some of the best practices, like a user should always know where they are in an experience. So being able to ask, where am I, or what can I say, or what can I do, like that always has to be available. And that was like discovered in academic setting. There was a really cool video that you can um, find on the internet, I think it was po posted to Boing Boing recently called Put That There, uh, which was how do you use uh, voice to interact with a, a visual experience and kind of like, I think it was like a graphical design tool um, where you use a cursor to point at something and say, put that, and then you point somewhere else and that's what there refers to. Um, so wow. there's, yeah, so it's, it's there, a lot needs to happen uh, and there's still a lot that needs to be learned, but a lot of it's been explored before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just digging through to find it. it. sounds like you've been doing a lot of that. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think um, part of, you know, we kind of stumbled into to conversation. Our goal, we didn't set out saying, you know, we want to make voice happen. Mm -hmm. We set out saying we want to make uh, computers uh, more accessible. We want people with disabilities to have the same quality experience that everyone else has. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, accessibility for us has really driven our research into to voice as an experience. Um, and I, I think that's true of voice, but I think it's also true of, you know, design in general as we think through these problems. It's not just voice that's completely different than mobile devices and, and web interfaces. Uh, you know, more and more the experiences that we're going to be building and going to be designing for are going to be, you know, aren't going to involve a screen. So mm -hmm. whether that's like virtual spaces and virtual reality or uh, augmented reality or wearables, like the heuristics and the knowledge that we have from designing for the web isn't going to apply or isn't going to apply in the same ways. Uh, so I think there, one strategy to, to approach that as a problem is, is think about the accessibility use cases and this, the ideas of universal design mm -hmm. uh, and helping you get to where you should be and coming up with kind of the best solution to the problem for these different uh, form factors. Mm -hmm. And it certainly puts the, um, the focus, as it should be, you know, on the, on the human, on the user. That's um, right. Which is, which is fantastic. I mean, there, I think there was a long period of time where people were so mesmerized by the latest technology, but what you're focused on is so much coming back to, okay, let's think about human behavior and how yeah. that, that impacts it. So what, what you mentioned Google um, announcing their latest and greatest, um, and maybe that's part of this, this answer, but what are some of the most exciting developments happening in the world of conversational UI in your mind? So in terms of conversational UI uh, specifically, yeah, um, you know, I when I read the question in the email that you sent, I was thinking more generally, but I forgot the answer that I thought of for that. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, you know, Google announcing this and the success of the Echo really show that this is picking up. Um, that's four major tech companies that have said that conversation is the next computing platform, uh, you know, in the last couple months. So it's Amazon, Google, Facebook, and, and Microsoft have all released major product announcements around conversation. So I think that's really exciting. You know, what they mean by conversation varies depending on who's talking about it. Uh, they you think there's a big focus on chatbots and messaging. Um, and then Google Home and Alexa are very focused on the voice. For everything that Google announced today, I'm still very excited by what Amazon is doing with the Echo. I think their model of opening up that to third-party developers, 
they're the only ones doing that in a meaningful way. And that I think is much more important to, for, for voice as a whole, Mm -hmm. because then we can ensure their experiences for, for everyone and not just what, you know, Amazon thinks of, or not just what Google thinks of. Um, And I think that's really important, not only for, for accessibility, but for people being able to, um, you know, create that voice tool or skill for any random idea or need that they have. So I'm really, really impressed by what, what, Amazon is doing with the Echo. Uh, there are a lot of really cool um, projects that I've seen that are unfortunately like more projects than they are mm-hmm. um, companies. Um, but so there's a company called Wit.ai uh, that created a service for speech recognition and natural language processing that uh, was acquired by Facebook and uh, powers their M messenger service. But they had a conference uh, in 2014 where one of the Siri founders spoke about the history of Siri. Uh, another guy um, founder spoke about creating uh, voice experiences for kids and games for kids. So like all of these problems that are really specific to children, like one of the core problems in, in voice design is what is the user going to say to the app to try and, and do what they want to do. But like with kids, like what they're going to say is all over the place. Um, so that's a really hard problem that they were working through. Uh, and so that's a really great talk that's worth looking at. And then uh, they've someone else, like as a hackathon project, created a, a voice-enabled microwave, which wow. I thought was really cool. Uh, not only for for the the blind use case, uh, microwaves are really hard to use uh, if you're blind because it's just a flat surface. Mm-hmm. But it's also like microwaves haven't really improved much since they were invented. Uh, and so like what are smarter ways uh, that a toaster or a microwave could behave, like knowing what food is put inside of it. Um, and then also like, you know, the voice experience as part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Those are interesting. It's, you know, and I was going to ask you and you you answered it before I had the follow up, which is, you know, some of the lesser known because we, we all are kind of watching the big the big companies, but there mm-hmm. certainly is probably a lot more going on. Yeah, yeah. And and one one final thing that I want to say related to kind of other applications is, you know, virtual reality is really taking off this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both the Oculus and the HTC Vive uh, shipped within the last month and the first really big consumer products there. And while like they're really focused on gaming today, um, you know, how the metaphor for computing in a virtual environment really hasn't been established yet. But I'm pretty confident that voice is going to be a major part of that. Uh, so thinking about how we ex- use voice in, in that environment is going to be really important. Um, there's one person so far that I've seen doing that, and there's this uh, virtual desktop app uh, so that you can use your virtual reality headset just to use your computer like a normal computer, and, and voice controls are, are a big part of that. Oh, who is that? I don't know the name, uh, but the app itself is called uh, Virtual Desktop, and you can download that from the Steam uh, VR store. Okay, great. Um, so any are there any particular lessons that have jumped out at you as you're learning to approach design from a voice-first perspective? Yeah, um, I think there are some some standard th- rules to, to think about. One I already mentioned about the user should always know where they are. So being able to say, what can I say, or where am I, or what can I do, and those types of questions um, are really important. The other is talk, like have the app speak to the user as little as possible, uh, because the more it's speaking, it's like latency and the experience, or like loading times for a page. Mm. Uh, uh, and and so it just makes the app feel less responsive. 
the user should always be able to interrupt the app when it's speaking, because uh, again, you know, waiting for it to finish talking is an unresponsive application. Presenting only the most important information first, and then allowing the user to ask for more detailed information. Uh, so, like in the shopping example, just saying the title, the price, uh, you know, the star rating, and then a brief description, and allowing them to prompt for reviews or product specifications or more detailed um, description and things like that. Again, you know, it's all it, all of these things leading towards the app feeling more responsive. Mm -hmm. Those are really great. Um, one final question beyond your own work, what people or projects um, other than the ones you've mentioned are grabbing your attention? And these could be around voice or accessibility. I'm curious sort of where your where your mind goes. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really excited about virtual reality. Um, mm. It's it's really impressive, and it's kind of a race for me to use it while I still have functional vision. Mm. Um, and so that's why I've been, you know, I kickstarted Oculus so I could get get my hands on it before, <laughs> while I still could. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, things that come out of that space, like virtual desktop, like I mentioned. That's what I spend the most of the time thinking about outside of voice. I think uh, Ethereum on, you know, allowing distributed computing is really interesting and important um, and going to uh, unlock a lot of different things, especially as as that matures as a product mm -hmm. um, and again opens a lot of questions around design, like how do you design when the experience is completely distributed? Um, I, th I think just the number of design challenges that are coming out as these new platforms become available, whether it's virtual reality, uh, things like Ethereum, but like Google with their announcements today around the Google Assistant and this and chatbots more generally, it, like how do you design when there are an infinite number of branches of like the, of actions that the user could take and the paths to walk down? Mm. It's not just the links that are displayed on a page; it's any possible thing the user could say. And then how the, you know, artificial intelligence responds to that. Like we, we talk about um, artificial uh, intelligence and smart systems, like not knowing how they work, just how the, that they get us an answer that we want most of the time. Right. Uh, but like, that's also true of design. Like, how do you design when you don't necessarily know all of the possible outcomes? Um, yeah, these are these are some of the things that I think about. That's a great observation. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode. <laughs>